Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. Hey, good evening and welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker. I'm a singer and a vocal coach. Uh, The Unstoppable Singer is a live interview style show where we dive into the lives of real professional singers. And these singers have achieved some incredible feats in their careers. Uh, We like to explore the challenges and triumphs that come with the life under the bright lights. And we learn what being unstoppable truly means to them. So if you're passionate about music and the stories of remarkable artists, then you are in the right place. Stick around because we're going to jump right into it. I am going to introduce you to my wonderful guest tonight. It is Claudia Friedlander. Um, Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Claudia. She is a dynamic voice teacher, a fitness expert, and renowned author based in New York City. Born in Queens, she began as a clarinetist and later discovered her love for singing. Um, Equipped with a dual master's degree in clarinet and voice from Peabody and a doctorate from McGill University, her unique approach integrates kinesiology and vocal performance. Uh, She's used her groundbreaking methods to train performers from Broadway to the Metropolitan Opera. Um, She's the author of The Indispensable Complete Vocal Fitness, um, a monthly columnist for Classical Singer Magazine, and a faculty member at Carnegie Hall, uh, Carnegie Hall Institute. Um, She is truly a voice in the wilderness, bridging the gap between physical fitness and vocal mastery. So please join me in welcoming Claudia Friedlander. Hello. Hello, Danielle. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you. I love the introduction. Yeah. Uh, Just a little backstory between Claudia and I. Claudia and I know each other. We've been getting to know each other a lot better this year because we are both uh, members of a mastermind group together, which I've talked about a lot on the podcast, but um, it's really a just an incredible just dynamic group. And it's really been amazing getting to know you and uh, getting more familiar with your work. So I'm excited to dive even deeper with you tonight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you also. Um, I spent the day listening to a bunch of your recordings and I'm just so enamored of your voice and so fascinated by the amazing uh, arrangements that that you've Mm -hmm. recorded and Um, One of the nice things about this mastermind group is that I get to hang out with and talk to people who specialize in and perform different styles of music than what I'm accustomed to. And I've just been learning so much from all of you. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, thank you for that. Well, let's just start from the beginnings and kind of step back in time and tell us where your musical journey began and, and how did we go from clarinet to physical fitness to voice it was it was really interesting listening to you paraphrase my bio and i'm realizing that maybe i need to adjust it in some ways to be more like what you said and also to be a little bit more honest because the truth is i was only playing the clarinet because nobody wanted to hear me sing okay um and it's just my voice was tight it was loud it was abrasive i couldn't blend with the chorus My heart broke every single year when I was in middle school because I would audition for the musical and then not even get a call back. Um, But I had always loved music. I always loved music. When I was uh, five or six years old and we moved to New Jersey, my next door neighbor was the leader of a recorder ensemble at her church. Oh, wow. And she saw that I had an aptitude for music. So she taught me to play recorder and I ended up playing with her recorder ensemble at the church. It was all these middle-aged women and then little, you know, six, seven-year-old me. And uh, 
and I loved it so much. And then I really, really, really wanted to sing and uh, it just wasn't working out for me. And I, in retrospect, I think that that has as much to do with the culture at my middle school as it did with, uh, with what was going on with my voice. But mm -hmm. I went from recorder to playing the clarinet. I loved playing the clarinet and I got lots and lots of attention for playing the clarinet. And so I just did that and I got really good at it. And uh, and spent some summers in high school at Tanglewood and then went to school for music and thought I was going to be a professional clarinetist. And then um, shortly after I graduated from college, I was teaching at the community music school in the town where I was living, Brattleboro, Vermont, uh, which is actually a pretty intense place for the arts because it's um, the, it used to be the home of the Marlboro Music Festival and there are just lots of really cool musicians in the, in the area. It was a great place to live and teach. And at the same time, I was doing some body work um, that resulted in my letting down a tremendous amount of tension that was like keeping my jaw tight and my throat tight, keeping me from being able to breathe really fully and do things with my breath um, that you really need to be able to do as a singer that you can kind of get away with if you can't do them as a clarinetist. And I found that I had a voice to sing with. Mm. And so I started doing like little singy things and then word got out that I was singing and uh, I started getting all of this encouragement. And it was just, it was really terrifying for me um, because I had wanted this so much all my life, but I was really afraid that if I start singing again, that maybe I'll have the same thing happen. I'll have the same heartbreak. I'll have the same disappointment, but I was able to sing. I was able to use my voice. I was able to perform the music of the composers that I'd loved so much uh, that i have been playing on my clarinet. And I decided to go back to school for music and uh, was accepted to do master's degrees in both voice and clarinet at Peabody Conservatory. And the irony being there that they actually gave me a scholarship as a singer and didn't give me any money as a clarinetist. So I, wow. I basically got the clarinet degree out of the way. I set down my clarinet and I focused all of my attention on singing. Um, and eventually did have my heart broken again because I was only able to get so far. My mm. background is, as you can tell from, from uh, the way I'm, I'm talking about this, as a classical musician. Mm -hmm. And so um, I did really well within a rather narrow repertoire that only required me to sing like really loud and mm. really fast. And uh, loud is valuable. It's valuable in many fields, but uh, but in, in opera where we don't get to use amplification, it's, it's particularly important. But then I went to a music festival uh, that was, I felt like I was really out of my depth. The standard mm. was higher than it had been at, at my conservatory, and I'd gotten in because I'm a really good musician and I'm a stage animal. But as the teacher who I was assigned at this very, you know, scary elitist festival decided, uh, and I've written about this in, in complete no, I, I wrote about this in my second book, um, The Singer's Audition and Career Handbook. He listened to me and he was like, you've got all this talent, but you're just singing. You have no technique. Mm. And over the course of the summer, when I was around these other singers who were a lot more accomplished than I was, I began to understand what it was that he was talking about. Mm. And so I was very, very determined to figure out, like, what is this technique thing? Uh, because I didn't want I didn't want to just put down the singing after I discovered it again after so many years and wanting it so much. And it turned out that um, I had a lot to learn in terms of my coordination. I still had some tensions that were keep me, keeping me from being able to do things other than just sing really loud. And uh, mm -hmm. so I set about um, figuring out how does the voice work mm -hmm. and how can I use this information to help myself be a better singer? And then how can I use it to help other people? Because as soon as I started realizing how all of this works and how to train it and what are some of the myths and misconceptions about singing uh, versus what is your anatomy actually doing, I could see that there was the potential to help a lot of other people who were struggling the way that I was. Mm -hmm. And so that is why I got so interested in fitness uh, mm -hmm. because I had had this very powerful experience finding out that I can make structural changes to my instrument that made me able to sing when I hadn't been able to sing before, that made us that the sounds I was making were perceived by other people as beautiful and musical, whereas before it was just pitchy and out of tune and, and, um, and, and not useful the way that the nuances that I could create on the clarinet were. Hmm. Um, so, but I also 
realize that not everybody can go in for the kind of very intense, aggressive body work that I would, was doing. And it wasn't really exactly now that I've learned more about the body and how to evoke changes. I think that there are lots of ways that we can evoke changes in our very, very malleable uh, physical instruments mm. um, that are easier to integrate. And so I settled on fitness as being a thing that lots of people are engaged in anyway, if you're going to be exercising anyway, and you can do it in a way that's going to give you more access to your instrument. If you can stretch in a way that's going to create more range of motion for the structures that you need for singing, um, then you can do that. And if you need to build a little more strength so that uh, you have more stamina to get through long phrases or just have more coordination and feel like your body is more integrated, then it, it seemed to me that fitness had lots and lots of valuable resources. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually worked in gyms as a fitness trainer for two years when I first moved to New York City, oh. um, which was really, really fun. I, I kind of miss it. Um, and learning how to observe and suggest ways to improve somebody's biomechanics like because you can watch somebody like do a squat you can watch somebody do a push-up and you can see where things are in balance and where things are working the way that that you might want them to and where they might need to be strengthened or stretched or but we can't see any of that for the voice right most of the mm -hmm. structures that we use when we're singing um we don't have a key clear visual on it. And often we don't get a lot of sensory feedback from the way our voices work. And so the opportunity to just like observe bodies, how they move, how they get better, how you can evoke these changes really helped me to be able to visualize what's going on with the singer's instrument mm -hmm. and be able to use the same motor learning skills that I learned as a trainer to help people figure out how to sing better. So now I view singing as really just being a set of movement skills. It's also about like coordinating those movement skills so that they can respond to what you want to express. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think what, what really gets me excited about the work is just being able to like be able to listen to and observe the way that somebody's using their voice and just know what the mechanics are that need to be adjusted and be able to talk to them about it and have them make these changes and have the same discovery that I had that like, I thought I couldn't do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's really wonderful to be able to sing well, but when you think that it's a dream that you're just never going to realize, and then you find out that it is going to be possible for you, that's the best. And that's what I want to share with people. Yeah, that's amazing. When you were working on your uh, vocal studies and then your interest in fitness sparked like that. Did you go into it intentionally trying to um, draw those two things together or was this just a discovery that came later down the road for you? It, it was intentional. I had really, I was also a late bloomer where fitness is concerned. I was also the kid that got picked last for the basketball team and felt really humiliated in gymnastics mm -hmm. class. And um, and so when I found that evoking changes in my body had changes to my voice, I thought, well, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. And maybe I always just had this self image of somebody who was going to be like weak and uncoordinated and unathletic. And then I came across this book, um, a woman's book of strength. Mm. And now I'm blanking on the author's name. Um, it's not Karen Andes. A-N-D-E-S. Karen Andes was Cher's trainer. Oh, okay. And, um, and so she had a platform, right, because Cher was so grateful to her for everything that she was able to do for her. And so she was one of the early celebrity trainers, and she, um, she started encouraging women to work out. This would have been back in, like, late 80s, early 90s, and there weren't as many women who were just working out because it felt good and they wanted to be strong. Um, mm -hmm. So she wrote this book called A Woman's Book of Strength and I found it browsing in a bookstore and I thought, I wanna do that. I wanna be like her, I wanna be strong like her. Mm -hmm. And a new gym had just opened up and so I actually taught myself fitness from this book mm -hmm. and then eventually found some trainers who taught me more. Um, and by the time I was in grad school, I was really into it. And, uh, and so, when I first moved to New York City, um, I was engaged to be married. We got married the following year. And I realized I need to build up my studio. I have no income. We're getting married. <laughs> and I need a gym to work out in so I can feel like I'm my beautiful, strong self when I, when I walk down the aisle. 
um, I need another income stream. What if I certified as a fitness trainer? So it was intentional because I wanted to add the skill set to the singing, but it was also desperation because I needed a job in a gym. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Very it's interesting. things happen. Like, yeah, <laughs> it really is. I, I love, I always love looking at, you know, the, the singer's journey and always pointing out those areas where one thing has led to another has led to another. Um, so by it's, it sounds like, so by this point you were, um, training vocalists at this point, or you were uh, beginning to build that up. What did that process look like for you? Did you know that that was, um, that that was an area you wanted to go into, or was it just out of need? Well, I always, I always loved teaching. Um, even when I was an undergraduate, I always had a few little high school students who were taking clarinet lessons with me. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to Brattleboro, I joined the, the music center and I was teaching clarinet. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to teach voice. By the time um, by the time I was living in New York City and working as a trainer, I had already completed my doctorate at McGill. I'd already had this harrowing experience at uh, Music Academy of the West where I found out that I had no technique. <laughs> and I had started teaching. Um, I had been teaching as as a means of supporting myself from the time I completed my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was I was also auditioning for opera companies and starting to build some momentum and getting some some jobs. But eventually, my interest in teaching it kind of just took me by surprise. I mean, Danielle, you're helping me connect all these dots that I haven't thought about in a long time. <laughs> um, but there came this moment when, like, I just noticed that I hadn't requested an audition in about six months because I was so engrossed in my teaching practice. So it was something that I always knew that I wanted to do, um, but my enjoyment of it kind of crept up on me. You know, it starts out being this thing that like, well, I like teaching. I'm planning on being a performer and I'm starting to make a little bit of money doing that, but most of my income is from teaching. So I'm just gonna keep doing it to having it be like, I wanna do this all of the time. I'm enjoying myself so much in the studio. I am not enjoying myself in rehearsals. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just noticed that I wasn't looking for it anymore. And since mm -hmm. then, you know, I, I perform when I have something to say. And when I do perform, I get to just develop a recital and decide who I want to sing with and who I want singing with me and who um, and what the repertoire is and what sort of audience I want to engage. And I have to say, I feel very lucky to get to choose my projects all the time. And maybe you would say that everybody can, and you'd probably be right. But when you're surrounded by opera singers all the time, who are always depending on other people to give them opportunities. Right. And they've got to compete with everybody else to get those opportunities. I see what my colleagues and my friends go through, I feel so fortunate that whenever I perform, it's because I want to, not because I have to make money. Mm, yeah, that is a good position to be in. No, I mean, you can you can do it because you want to and you want to make money, but right. I've only recently discovered that about my various enterprises, as I think you know. Yeah, definitely. Well, now, so you have, at this point, you've develop these, uh, you know, this methodology um, that included fitness. Um, tell us about you as an author and how the books came into play that you've written. More dots to connect. Um, <laughs> because it's always really organic, right? But then some of these things don't, don't, don't make it into your bio. Um, I've always also enjoyed writing. Um, but I hadn't been writing for publication. Uh, I got to be as good a writer as I needed to be in order to get through my um, my grad degrees. And for my doctorate, I did have to write a thesis. And it was it was really, it was a huge project and it was really intimidating. And I, I remember, you know, it taking like more than a year to produce this document that was only intended to be read by six people. Mm. When you're doing academic things, it's often that way. Um, and then I just didn't really write except for myself. I've always kept a journal. Um, mm -hmm. so that has also been a big part of what I would consider my voice. I think I've kept a journal since I was 10 years old. So I was always writing. Mm -hmm. Um, but then eventually over the years, I thought when I, uh, when I went for my doctorate that I was going to end up teaching at a university or a conservatory, that was my career objective, um, for the, the teaching part. 
And then when I started getting a look around at Academe, um, I would apply for jobs and sometimes I would get an interview, um, but more and more it felt like this just isn't going to be my path. But when you're living in New York City, it can be very isolating if you don't have a community. And so uh, the two things that I did that really have been, uh, that have provided me with a sense of community um, have been my work uh, with, with Carnegie Hall as a teaching artist in various capacities. And also I just, I started writing. First I started writing a blog uh, and that helped me to connect with other voice teachers and other singers and the blog developed a pretty decent readership. Um, and then I, once I started getting into the fitness stuff, I reached out to, um, to Classical Singer Magazine. I said, hey, you should let me write a monthly column for you on fitness and singing. And they were like, okay. And I thought, really? That's all you have to do? So <laughs> <That's it? laughs> this is what I want. This is, this is something that I want to get across. It never hurts to ask. Right. And yes. if it's something that you really want to do. And that really was how it, it didn't happen in a vacuum. In the background, what is going on is I'm trying to keep body and soul together, living in a tiny little disgusting, but very expensive New York apartment mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how am I ever going to build a life? And so I was used to having people tell me no and slamming doors in my face. And then one morning I just woke up and was like, I should write a column for classical singer. And they were like, mm -hmm. okay. So when you have those impulses, follow them. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, uh, because I did end up writing this column uh, for, for classical singer that was just so satisfying for me. It was called Musing, Musings on Mechanics. Mm -hmm. And I would write columns on vocal pedagogy that centered on anatomy and fitness. And mm -hmm. It was very enjoyable for me, and I think it was very useful for the community. Um, and it also was one of the things that helped me to get a contract to write an actual book on these materials. So mm -hmm. it started out writing a blog, writing a column, um, posting stuff to Carnegie Hall's social media site. Mm -hmm. um, they had a social media site for a while called Musical Exchange, and I, I headed up the um, the the voice studio group uh, so that like they would have, it was at the time it was only for, I think high school aged musicians, um, but they would come on to like work on things. And then I would talk about topics with them in, in classical singing. And, um, and eventually that expanded to include college age singers when they decided to host this masterclass series for Joyce DiDonato. Um, Joyce DiDonato is a wonderful mezzo-soprano um, operatic mezzo-soprano and recitalist who um, was Carnegie Hall's perspectives artist that year. And they asked her like, what did she want to perform on this series? And mm -hmm. she told them what she wanted to perform, but she said, but you know, if you really want to give a complete picture of who I am as a musician, it needs to include an educational component. Hmm. So they created this masterclass series and they had me sort of adapt the social media project to support uh, the application process. So it was all about auditions, how to prepare an opera audition, how to prepare a masterclass audition. Um, and Roman and Littlefield, my publisher, scouted me. They said, we want you to write a book based on the material you're posting to Carnegie Hall Musical Exchange. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I can write you that book, but how about I write this other book that I've already been working on? They're like, sure, we'll do that too. Wow. Uh, if you've never written a book before, don't write two books at once. <laughs> Good advice. Really don't volunteer for that because I actually, I really did it. I really, I really did both of these projects at the same time, but they were so different from each other. Yeah. Complete Vocal Fitness is all about like anatomy and biomechanics and exercise and, uh, and, and like how to sing. And the Singer's Audition and Career Handbook is, is all about you know, how to uh, chart a, a, your education and career path as an opera singer. So it's a very, very niche thing um, mm -hmm. because it's the the opera business is probably probably more different from the rest of the music business than it should be. Um, but, um, but it's just this very mysterious thing. Like you go to school, but then you don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. Or you go to school and you find out that you have no technique, right? right. So... I saw, I agreed with Roman and Littlefield that there needed to be a how-to opera book mm -hmm. um, and agreeing to do that for them um, got them to let me do my passion project, which was the fitness book. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How, how amazing is it that you had those two things 
hand in hand with one another, although difficult because you were doing them simultaneously. But, you know, if, from the perspective of a, a professional singer, you really can't have one without the other. You know, you, you need you need the business acumen and you also need the you know, work on the craft, on, on the actual voice study. So, um, you know, I understand that you are going to be revising these books soon. Is that right? Yeah. Um, can I just ask you a quick question? Yeah. My, my air conditioner just kicked on. Does it sound like there's a steamroller blowing everybody down? I heard it for a second, but I'm not hearing. It, it's okay. Okay. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I can, I will have to rearrange things to nor I, it's either your air conditioner or my kids yelling in the background. Okay. <laughs> so as long, as long as you can still hear me over the over yes. the air conditioner, I will I will just continue. But uh-huh. yeah, um, Roman and Littlefield approached me last summer to ask if I would like to um, submit proposals to revise both books uh, because they are selling well, which I would never know because like I don't get the money, they get the money um, mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, something else to to consider if you're going to write a book. Um, don't expect, unless you're going to write like a blockbuster bestseller, um, or an academic book where you know that it's going to be adopted. Um, it's not, it's not going to earn you any money, uh, directly. It will help you to, um, to communicate with your audience. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people have found me as a voice teacher and found my other resources through my books, but, um, the, I, I did a better job because of our mastermind group. I did a really good job of negotiating these contracts. So Great. I'm going to be getting more in royalties, but more means instead of 8%, I'm going to get 10 to 12%, which still is not like a significant income stream. Um, um, so, but the books are selling well. Yay. I'm making money for Roman and Littlefield and I'm reaching a lot of people, which yes. is the more important thing where the books are concerned. Yes. Uh, and so I finally got to yes. They, when they came up with an arrangement that I could, um, that, that I could manage and also figure out, again, with the help of this mastermind group, how to balance my schedule so that um, the first time writing the books just eclipsed my life and I really let my teaching practice slide a bit in a way that made it rather difficult for me to keep up with my students and also to keep up with my rent. Um, so this time I have a plan in place that I have been following that's working out really well. So I have lots of time to write when I need it. And I'm still paying all the attention that I need to my students. And I can still hop online and talk to Danielle on a Wednesday night um, yes. instead of getting right back to work on, the, on, on this or that. Um, so I wrote proposals to revise both of these books. And as soon as I started writing proposals, I started realizing how much they both needed revisions mm-hmm. for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're still, they're, they're good books, you know, hopefully people will still be buying the books before there is a revised edition, but where the fitness book is concerned, there are a couple of major things that have changed for me since mm-hmm. I wrote it. Uh, one is that I've been getting really into using myofascial release with massage balls um, and working with, um, with various tools and stretches to um, more massage the voice into place, mm-hmm. you know, release things in your abdomen so that you have more range of motion for breathing and um, and understanding the strength training component more in the context of that. So I feel like incorporating these, um, these self-myofascial release techniques and offering exercises for that is going to be really important uh, to round out the material in complete vocal fitness and also contextualize the role of the weightlifting, the strength training exercises. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that as I've been working with these tools in the studio, I'm getting surprisingly much faster results for my students that Mm. um, rather than just like doing physical exercises to balance out the musculature, which is the way that I have been looking at it when I, when I wrote complete vocal fitness, just doing some simple, slow, mindful self massage um, with, with these, uh, with these tools, with the massage balls. Most of them are hard little rubber balls. This is a sort of big squishy ball. Um, were much better for helping them to improve their alignment and expand their breathing than pumping iron mm-hmm. um, is. Uh, and there's there's lots of reasons for that, uh, but I'm really excited to incorporate all of this new material into the book uh, because it's not just that, I'm not just gonna slap on another chapter that says, oh, and here are some myofascial release techniques that you, that you can use. Um, it's gonna be threaded through the entire book how, um, how improving your skill at interoception, 
interoception, um, being able to sort of like shine a light on those dark places that are hard to see and feel. Not quite the same thing as kinesthetic awareness or proprioception. Proprioception means like knowing where your where the parts of parts of your body are in relation to each other, but just being able to sort of like look inside with your awareness, notice where things are tight, notice where things are bumping into each other, notice when you're singing or when you're breathing, where you meet resistance. Mm -hmm. And then following that information that you get from your own body, that you get from your own awareness to suggest what might be a nice movement, what might be a nice stretch to be able to create more room for what you need to do or more range of motion for your breathing. Um, it's, it's just a really nice way to look at conditioning your body and loving your instrument um, that eliminates the whole no pain, no gain element that you see so often in fitness training. Right. Mm. Well, that's really wonderful. I want to make sure that in the comments, I post your Amazon author page. So I just posted it up there so uh, everybody can take a look. Um, and now you also have um, a Patreon account going that is related to the revisions of the book. Can you explain that to us? Sure. Um, when, when I first heard Complete Focal Fitness, I had this really cool experience thanks to the fact that Roman and Littlefield wasn't going to pay for the illustrations. And I was like, if I'm gonna write this book, there needs to be the right artwork. Mm -hmm. um, there, because what I, what I really wanted to show was not existing in other pedagogy books. If you've like read a pedagogy book or two, then you may find that you see the same illustrations over and over again, because they tend to just port in these old illustrations that are now public domain that were created for medical textbooks. Mm. But I wanted pictures that were just going to show the instrument, right? Show me the components of the larynx that just the throat that just have to do with singing. Show me how the muscles that create pitch and registration for us, how they move. Uh, and so I knew that I was going to need to hire an anatomical illustrator that she was going to be expensive. And that I was going to have to do original photography and Roman and Littlefield was not going to pay for it. So I set up a Kickstarter to earn the money for, um, for the illustrations. And it ended up being the most amazing thing because not only was I able to crowdfund the money that I needed for the illustrations, I was able to start a conversation with people in the community because if they were interested in this project, if they were interested in, in supporting what I wanted to do, they had thought about these things and they were also excited about these things. And so it's not just that they were going to be a future customer of the book. Um, they ended up participating in a conversation that helped me to make the book better. Wow. So this time, I mean, I am going to have to pay for some new artwork for, um, and Roman is actually giving me a little bit of money for the photography, uh, but it's not nearly as draconian an enterprise. But I thought if I'm going to revise these books, I want to loop in my audience, both for the fitness book and also for the opera book, because the revisions to the singers and audition to the singers um, audition and career handbook are going to confront the toxicity in our educational system and in the industry. Uh, whereas the first edition sort of gives a little bit of side eye to it, but I didn't want to step on any feet. And so the result for the singers audition and career handbook is that there's a component of it that's like, here's how to suck up to the gatekeepers. <laughs> like, mm. Here's how things are done that can't change, that are going to suck unless you follow the rules. Um, and so I definitely want the participation of the community. Um, I want eyes on my work as I do this. And I also want the support of the community because it will help me to keep body and soul together while I'm writing the books. Um, and Patreon is great. If you're not, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's great if, you have a specific project like this. Um, it's not so great if you're like, oh, I just want people to support me so that I can go to you know, this summer music camp that I need to save up for. Uh, it's probably not gonna work so well. But if what you want is to really engage your audience and have a dialogue with them, um, then it's nice for me because I feel supported by my audience. I feel like when I'm sitting down to write, it's a very solitary and lonely thing but I feel like I have this community out there whose voices are in my head that I'm having a conversation with. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to feel more confident that I'm going to write the book that will be helpful for them that they will want to read. Mm -hmm. um, so I am setting up my Patreon to sort of be the way that my Kickstarter was, that 
um, that each week I'm going to be like working on revising a particular section or a particular chapter. Um, I'll put up a post about it. Uh, if you contribute at a, at a certain rate, you can download the chapter um, mm -hmm. and read it. And then hopefully like start a conversation and get input from the community about how it's going and give them a window into my process as I'm writing the books. So I'm hoping that it will be, um, I thought, you know, the Kickstarter, if you've ever done a crowdfunding thing, it is stressful, but mm -hmm. it was also fun. And when I go back and I look at like my old Kickstarter because they archive these things and you can see it. And I look at how I was posting drafts of the illustrations that Sandy, my illustrator would come up with. And you can see how it went from just a sketch to being these beautiful color illustrations that she came up with that were accurate in the way that I, I wanted it to be. Um, that it was just, my hope is that it was a good experience for the people who were following along. And it's my hope that the experience of following along with my process this time um, will also be fun and informative uh, for people who will then want to read these books and then hopefully they will want to read the book and they will want to tell everybody about the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. That is so smart to just incorporate that into your process, having that feedback in the midst of, you know, creating and writing rather than I think, um, just as creatives, so many of us just, we, we do our work in secret or in solitude and, and, you know, we, we only have our, our own thoughts about it, our own criticisms about it, our, our, our own input. Um, and then we wait until like the big reveal and then having the feedback now it's too late, you know, really to go, to go back and until you revise it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't, it depend on the kind of work you're doing. If I were a singer songwriter, I don't think I'd want everybody's fingers all over my work sure. until I was ready to, but this is nonfiction. Um, these, these, these books are both nonfiction and, uh, and so that, I mean, is it, it feels a little bit like cheating to find out like what people want to see in the books, but it's not because this is the audience that I really want to serve. I'm not going to say something I don't believe. Mm -hmm. Um, but if there could be some niche thing that I'm obsessed about that nobody cares about, it doesn't need to be in the book. Right. Right. Um, or if it's something and if there is a posture that I have because I am older than a lot of my audience, I need my younger peers to tell me. And that is already kind of happening. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so smart. Uh, so I want to back up just a minute. Uh, you mentioned confronting toxicity in the academic world and how that's very going to be a very important message in the book. Um for those listening that are not familiar with what, you know, what this is exactly, why is it important for you to confront that? And what, uh, if you can kind of give us a general idea of what that um, looks like? Well, the way it looks right now, I can really only kind of give you a window into what it looks like in the classical world. But I, I know from my friends who uh, sing other styles of music and teach other styles of music in academe as well, um, that there are aspects of this throughout academe. And, uh, but <laughs> classical, uh, classical music and opera just seems to be behind everybody else in the performing arts when it comes to just providing good instruction and a safe working environment. Um, because unfortunately, I feel like um, the classical music world, especially the classical vocal music world and the opera industry are not providing a safe work environment and they're not providing good education. You know, imagine getting into conservatory. It, it, this aspect of it has really not changed very much since I was a um, since I was a voice student. But being accepted into conservatory, you know, for a master's program, when I really haven't been singing like I'm singing, you know, all that long, and they gave me a scholarship, I thought I'm going to go to Peabody and I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to be a professional opera singer. Mm -hmm. um, and then you find out that. No, they don't really have the means to give you all of the things that you need. Um, mm. It took me three years to complete both of these degrees. And my, my epiphany when I was told that I had no technique by somebody who also was probably not the best technique teacher in the world. Um, I went back from my final year at Peabody and I had to confront my voice teacher and change studios. And they are not holding themselves accountable at all. The result is that... Um, no one's doing a study on this for obvious reasons, but I would say that for 
even with with the exception of maybe like very top, very small programs like the Juilliard School or Curtis, um, most graduating master's classes of voice performance majors are not professionally viable opera singers. Mm. And the programs aren't doing anything about this. Um, it's the whole system would need to be overhauled. Again, like I don't know what the concomitants would be for other styles of music, but something that probably is very similar is that you get accepted into these programs based on um, demonstrated talent. Mm -hmm. You go and you sing your audition and that is their only exposure to, um, to your singing. They can't assess from your audition what you will need to get from where you are when you start to where you need to be when you graduate to in order to be ready to work. Mm. And that's what they would need to do if they wanted to keep their promise. But what they do is they just accept a whole bunch of talented people. And then we go, we, they pour us into this funnel. And then maybe one or two viable professionals comes out at the other end. Mm -hmm. And then they go and have their careers. And then Peabody basks in their reflected glory. And they say, come to Peabody and we'll teach you to sing like so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Of all the people that I graduated with, I want to say I can think of only maybe one or two other singers in my graduating class from my master's degree who even attempted a professional singing career who are still singing. Mm. And I've seen that with my students and I've seen that with my husband and I've seen it with my colleagues. It's like the emperor has no clothes. They tell you that you're going to get this result, but then they don't do anything to guarantee that you will. Mm -hmm. And then they give you the message of like, oh, well, sorry, the business is competitive. And, you know, I guess you just didn't have what it takes or you didn't work hard enough. It's always back on the singer, not on the quality of instruction. Mm -hmm. um, so the way I tried to skirt this in the Singer's Auditioning Career Handbook was to in my there's a chapter on technique. Mm -hmm. So I'm describing this is what technique is. If you have it, this is what you can do. Um, and not all teachers know how to teach it. So make sure that if you need it, you find a teacher who does know how to teach it. But that's a very different thing from saying that like you are so screwed if you don't know how to already sing at a professional level when you start your master's degree because the teacher that they assign you might not know how to teach you. Yeah. And so I'm gonna have to find a way to say that. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. it's just true. Yeah, thank you for commenting on that. That is that is really interesting. Um, I am curious to know more about your practice as um, a vocal instructor. Um, you have your own private practice uh, rather than teaching at an institute um, right now, if I'm correct. Is that right? Okay. Yes. So um, you, as I mentioned in your um, bio, you have students that, that have performed on Broadway and top opera houses. You know, what are uh, what are some common traits and practices that you observe in you know successful students you know i guess i have to say that in my bio but i wonder if i should tweak that too because like yes it is true i have trained singers who have gone on to have very successful careers on broadway i have trained singers who have sung at top opera houses um what makes my practice most satisfying is when somebody's really committed to the process and when they have something to say and they want my help to mm -hmm. say it. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that I think I have in common with you and, and the others in our, in our mastermind group. If I can like talk about like, I, I taught five voice lessons today. Um, the first one is a, I would call him a dramatic baritone. So like operatic baritone, but he is not a professional singer. He's just a very, very good avocational singer. Who's, Main focus is raising his young daughter right now. Mm. Um, and then I had another avocational soprano, very, very good coloratura, loves to sing high and fast. So she wants to get better at that. And then I had a burlesque performer, professional performer, professional singer, mm. professional performer. Um, she wants to add, I don't think she would object to my, my sharing this with you, or maybe I shouldn't, uh, I, I won't give you the specifics, but she has an act where she does glass walking uh -huh. And there's a specific opera aria that she wants to be able to sing that she thinks would make for a really great um, uh -huh. act with her glass walking. But she's like, she's she's uh, she's really an amazing and very successful performer. And then I had, I zoomed with a young operatic baritone uh, who's finishing a master's degree in, in Europe. 
um, who is participating in uh, my longer term program. I have a longer term uh, vocal study program called Vocal Elementals, um, where you go through a series of 24 modules and you do a deep dive into each skill that is a component of singing. And so one of the reasons that I like to teach this program is that it gives me the opportunity to work on fitness things, which in the course of just a one hour lesson, I might be able to give somebody a little bit of myofascial release things, or I might be able to talk to them about an exercise that they would do. Mm-hmm. But the session that I got to do with Jay today was all about abdomen and core. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how he can use the exercises that he liked to, likes to do in the gym to uh, to be more conducive to developing his breathing for his singing. Um, we talked about how important it is to be able to breathe just as fully with full range of motion when you're doing these exercises um, as you want to be able to do when you sing. Um, and then my last student of the day is a wonderful tenor who comes in from New Jersey um, who just wants to be as good as he can. So on balance, okay, two out of the five students that I saw today are professionals. Um, Coincidentally, most of them today are classical singers, but I work with singers in lots of other styles Um, because I'm not a coach, right? I can't really, I can help you with some things stylistically when it comes to classical singing, but but if you want like style coaching for musical theater or, uh, or contemporary singing, I can give you the mechanics to be able to do what you want to do with your voice, but then you're going to need to, to do that elsewhere. But I just love teaching singers who love to sing. Mm. Um, and especially when it means as much to them as it did to me, and maybe they didn't get off to the easiest start like I did to be able to show them that there, there's, there's this whole world of possibilities open to them. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's amazing. Um, it, I, as we're, your journey is unfolding here, you know, I'm seeing all of these areas that you've, um, you know, challenges that you've had to overcome and you, in it, and you've been so committed to, uh, the study of the voice and, um, just, amazing self-awareness and, and wanting to learn about yourself and how you could, um, you know, improve, improve your singing, uh, and also, um, improve your methodologies and everything. So it's been, it's been a lot of, um, a lot to overcome. So the final question I always love asking on the show is what makes you unstoppable? You know, I tried to quit it so many times and I just can't. Um, I think I would say two things. One is that I just I just can't shut up. <laughs> I mean, when, when we first got on the call and you were like, people tell me sometimes that they just feel like they're talking on and on and on and on and on. And that's fine. But like, yes, I feel like I've been talking a lot, but I'm talking a lot because I'm so excited about all of this. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the excitement makes me unstoppable. But the main thing that gets me out of bed every morning is the curiosity. Mm. Because no matter how bad things got for me as a singer, after I started again, all right, I did, I gave up in middle school. But once I started again, there was no way anybody was going to take this away from me again. Mm. And so even on my hardest days, I find that I wake up in the morning with a question, like, how am I going to figure this thing out? And it's the same whether I'm thinking about something that I want to get better at in the teaching studio or something that I want to get better at in my own technique or even something that I just want to get better at in terms of my own like physical wellness and fitness. Um, Once I come up with a question and I have more questions than I will be able to answer in this lifetime, I am driven to find the answer. Mm. And so nothing can stop that. Yeah, uh, because nothing ever has, and um, and I have to confess, and this will probably be something many of you can relate to too, that um, sometimes I get like so focused and so obsessed, and I really, really, really just want to like learn to do this thing or answer this question, and other things end up taking a back seat to that, like trying to pay my rent and. It's, yeah. as you know, it's only fairly recent that I found out that it's not an either or situation that you really can create your life so that, you know, you get compensated for the value that you're putting out there. But that yeah. isn't the way that I was raised. It wasn't the way that I thought about things. And so I know that even when I've felt like I've had to choose between 
doing the thing that I love that just gives me life and makes me feel like I'm a part of something and doing something soul crushing so that I can pay my rent. I'm not capable of even doing that. So thank goodness I found a way to um, create value with my singing and with my teaching, with my writing in a way that comes back to me. Uh, and I feel like I have a more balanced life, but I can just never stop. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Claudia. It, uh, it's been amazing talking to you and getting to hear your journey, learning more about you. Um, I, as I mentioned, I did post all of your uh, social media links, your Amazon author page and your Patreon in the comments. Um, but where's the best place for everybody to find you and get more familiar with your work? Um, well, it's still a work in progress, but liberatedvoice.studio is my website. And I try to connect everything I'm doing to that page. Um, so that's the, the best location to find out more about me. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat with me tonight. Uh, and thank you for everybody who has been uh, watching live and jumping into the comments. I will be back again next week with another fabulous singer. Uh, but until then, keep an eye out for Cla uh, Claudia's revised books. We're excited to see that. We're excited for you. Um, oh, I guess one last question about that when do you expect to put out the revisions or is that too, too much pressure? Well, we'll see, we'll see how it works out. My publisher would really like it if I could turn in the manuscripts um, in early 2024, because if I can do that, then they will have them ready to promote at the Nats conference next summer. Ah. So we're looking at June, 2024 um, for, for a release. Um, I know from the experience of doing it the first time that sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want, but I'm being more organized about it. And it's the other thing about, about the Patreon. If, if I, um, if I'm really committed to like, I'm going to do a deep dive on this chapter this week and then another one the next week and another one the next week, mm -hmm. then that's going to give me some structure and some momentum. So hopefully I'll be able to deliver on the promise. Awesome. Well, wishing you all the best with that. And I'm, I'm so glad that I, I kind of have a front row seat to see how this unfolds in our mastermind. But, well, you'll be hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, thank you so much, Claudia. It was really a pleasure talking with you. And um, thanks for everybody who uh, watched live tonight. We will see you next week. Okay. Thank Good you night. so much, Danielle. You're Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career.